You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Cecilia Mazeka, an editor with McKinsey Publishing based in Singapore. Today, we're talking about digital trends in Asia, arguably the hottest region in the world for e-commerce, search, social networking, gaming, and ride-sharing, just to name a few. Asia has its own tech giants, such as China's Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu, Japan's Rakuten, and SoftBank, among others. Here to tell us more about Asia's digital landscape and how companies in the region are transforming their digital operations are Alan Lau and Gregor Thiessen, senior partners and co-leaders of Digital McKinsey in Asia, based in Hong Kong. Alan and Gregor, welcome. Thank you. Can you start with some level setting on the similarities and the differences between the advance of digitization in Asia and the rest of the world? First, I think um, there is no one Asia. Um, uh, economies are vastly different between Japan, Korea versus China, Indonesia, and India. Um, but I think one of the common myths is people think that uh, developing Asia is behind in digital, and I think it's uh, in fact the other way around. Um, the poor legacy in, in these developing Asia markets, uh, whether it is uh, IT or digital penetration or um, the traditional uh, retail and banking infrastructure, often means that uh, digital is a great opportunity for the country to leapfrog. So the most interesting digital market in Asia is actually not uh, the like of Korea and Japan, but it is more China, Indonesia and India. And these are the markets that are really pushing the boundary and innovating the most. I think, you know, as a Western European, Asia is the most fascinating market uh, I've seen so far. And that's for three major reasons. First of all, it's around innovation. And that's not only China, and we mentioned the companies already, but that's also happening in all the other markets like India or Indonesia. The second thing is about, you know, how they leapfrog technologies. Most of these markets, even though e-commerce or internet banking penetration might be low, like in Thailand, Vietnam, in these markets, social network penetration is very, very high. And it's much higher than in some of the developed markets. And in these markets, you find unique business systems and ecosystems which exploit these opportunities. And the third reason is that the people in these countries, they are open to new technology and mobile internet. And that makes it much easier for businesses to capture these opportunities. I, I think, as Gregor said, uh, these users uh, do not have uh, traditionally great uh, services provided, whether it is in retail, banking, or telecom. So therefore, when digital attacker come with the new business model, um, these consumers have not been exposed to better services, and therefore, they're more open-minded. India has a population of over 1.2 billion, but there's, my understanding, is still a lot of potential for growth in broadband usage. And, you know, there's, there's a, a call for greater digital infrastructure. So there's still room for digitization to develop in India. Why do you think that that market is actually leading in innovation? If I try to compare India with China, as you said, the digital broadband penetration is still lower, which means that even at this lower level, if we already see this amount of innovation, we definitely can expect more, right? And I think um, the, the, the other point is uh, with the attackers in India, I think they 
um, had the opportunity to try something that um, many Western peers didn't have the need to try uh, before. So, for example, look at e-commerce, right? So you have uh, leading companies like Flipkart and Snapdeals, and the the logistic challenge that they have to deal with is completely different than uh, UK, Germany, or the US. Um, a, a lot of times, uh, they uh, the the end last mile delivery is actually done by people going around bike, and that really leverages the cheap labor in the country. So, so I think that's also another reason why um, markets like India would have the chance to innovate because they do have to innovate because there there isn't a lot of things that they can actually copy from. Let me add two points, Alan, regarding what you said regarding India. My first point is around, I think India has most of the digital talent in the world. It's not only the home of the internet service providers. These companies have early on focused on developing digital talent. And I would argue we are talking about hundreds of thousands or even millions of talents in that market. And they are driving not only the innovation in India, but they are also the backbone for global innovation. My second point there is, and you touched upon it, yes, of course, there is significant room for improvement regarding the infrastructure side. Broadband internet access, high-speed mobile phone, or even reliable mobile phone networks, and so on. However, they are moving very fast, at least in the key centers and major cities. And these markets alone are significant. A lot of people look at unicorns, and unicorns defined a privately owned company above 1 billion US of valuation. And if you look at the global unicorn landscape, 50 to 60% are based in the US. The second market then is, like Alan said beforehand, is China. The third market is more or less India. So you have innovative companies where people believe the valuation justifies their business system and what they are doing. So India already has these kind of unicorns there, and there are seven, eight, nine of them already and much more emerging. So I would say, yes, e-commerce penetration is low, around 10%. However, internet banking penetration, at least according to our service, is around 18%. And if you just like multiply that with the population, it is already a significant market. Alan, you've spent a lot of time looking at China, you know, and speaking of um, a very exceptional entrepreneurial class uh, being an important factor in driving innovation. That certainly is one of the, the main uh, key points of success for the Chinese market. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, I, I think the first thing to understand about China is that. Um, you don't have the same global names that you, you see everywhere else. Um, the Google, Facebook, Instagram, um, I, I think by and large they are still the leaders in many of the Asian markets. Uh, so for example, uh, Facebook uh, users in Indonesia actually is larger than that in the US. But I think China is the exception. Um, I think it's a very well-known fact that there is uh, the Great Firewall, which means that um, many of these companies' servers are blocked in China. And I think as a result, um, it has created the environment for the like of Tencent, Baidu, and Alibaba to rise um, starting from about 10 years ago. Um, I think a common myth is um, people think that they, these are quick copycat company that looked to Silicon Valley to import uh, the business model. And indeed, it may have started that way. But if you look at the past, I would say, six, seven years, 
um, it's the market has gone through, and these leaders have done a lot more than just copying. Um, take Tencent, for example, which um, they had a very popular service called WeChat, which is very similar to a combination of WhatsApp and Facebook, and now they had 700 million users in China. And in China, you also got WhatsApp freely available, but it is WeChat that is by far the dominant player. So I think um, the, the internet leaders in China, like uh, Tencent and Alibaba, have really innovated. Um, yes, they may have drawn the initial inspiration from outside about 10 years ago, but certainly in the past couple of years, they've really developed a product and adapted it very much to the local market to the extent that actually now a lot of people from outside have been looking to China for inspiration. Yeah, Gregor, you know, the, the retort is that, you know, government protection enables local Chinese firms to thrive, blocks out, you know, competition, therefore Chinese firms don't get to, uh, don't, don't have to innovate but copy business models in the West. And, you know, is that, like Alan is saying, really giving Chinese tech leaders not enough credit? I fully agree with what Alan said. I'm intrigued by the degree of innovation which is happening in China. And these are not only the leaders like Tencent, Baidu, Alibaba, who have innovated around you know, existing social networks and so on. But it's much more around the businesses around them, e.g. in the banking or financial services world. There are offerings out there in China which are purely based on WeChat. And I'm not aware of any other market where we have a WhatsApp bank and that is entirely operating in that ecosystem. And that's not only limited to financial services, also, you know, how people sell and interact via these social networks is very, very unique. And lastly, what I would love to add there is, if they innovate, they innovate at scale. It is rapidly not only a small startup, it is rapidly an entire business system with real revenues, real impact and real clients. How has WeChat been able to succeed the way that it has? Uh, you know, have one app and essentially turn it, you know, into a full-scale mobile payment service, uh, whereas many people in the West, for instance, are used to using different apps for different things. Well, I think first um, we need to look at WeChat as not just one app, right? Of course, it has a very sticky high-frequency service, which is messaging, but that really is just a starting point. It really is a super app because it is a portal to many other services that uh, that's being offered. So, for example, on a key page, you will see the usual messaging interface, very similar to WhatsApp, but if you swipe right, then you see many other services that's being offered, as Gregor was saying. You can do your banking there, um, you can shop online, uh, you can get a cab, uh, you can do online payment. The global um, discussion and narrative has been, has been around app fatigue, that people have way too many apps on a smartphone and they don't want to be bounced off from one app or one website to another to complete uh, a set of services. Um, in China, it's the opposite. Um, you can actually get a lot of stuff done on WeChat or Alipay. What about the other leaders from China, such as Alibaba or Baidu, you know, along the, the lines of that question? Anything that they could teach the rest of the world? I think um, it's also around the theme of ecosystem. So um, maybe talk about Alibaba's ecosystem as well. Of course, uh, Taobao and Tmall is the traffic driver. Everyone shopped on it. In fact, the average number of transactions people had on 
Alibaba is 50 times a year. So which means people buy something every week. Um, but on top of that, what really facilitated that transaction is Alipay, which is the payment platform. Alipay is the, the anchor for Alibaba. And I think on top of that, they've also developed a whole bunch of services. So very similar to WeChat, you can also shop online, you can get a cab, you can order other uh, local services. But uh, they are also diversifying from that as well, right? Um, one of the most fascinating services that I've seen recently is something called Sesame Credit. So in China, um, most people don't have a credit history. Uh, what Alibaba has done with Sesame Credit is to say, based on your previous transaction history or borrowing history, I can automatically generate a score for you. And if you had a high enough score, that allows you to do things in a more convenient way. So for example, if you had a score that is above 700, you can book a hotel without making a deposit. If you had a score over 800, you can get a visa to go to Europe without producing income proof. I think if you had a score also around 800, you can get a priority listing on one of the most popular dating sites in China. <laughs> so they're creating all kinds of new cases and another new ecosystem. I always learn when I look into the Chinese market, every day, every second, there's some innovation happening and I always learn a lot. I just for one second want to step back and say, yes, of course, these are leading innovators and they have brilliant ecosystems, but they also just like benefit from the Chinese consumer because they spend more time on mobile internet with their smartphone compared to many other markets. Some other like Indonesia, they even spend more time, but you know, compared to Western Europe or North America, they spend more time. And therefore they love, you know, convenience and therefore one-stop shopping. We talked about WeChat, Alibaba, all the ecosystems that drives it, but also the willingness of the consumer. And of course we can learn a lot in the other markets around the ecosystems, what they are offering and the integration and the boldness of integrating new business system. However, one always has to take into consideration the consumer in the different markets. How will they react and what will they do? Having said that, there's lots of room for improvement for many other markets and many other players in the other markets. Because even though the consumers don't behave like the Chinese one, they behave in a way that the demand is much higher than the current supply in these markets. I really like that point about open-minded consumer, and I do think it is a key part to the success that we've seen in China. Yes, you would need someone, you know, let's take another service for, uh, as, as an example, right? So Qzone is the equivalent of MySpace, I would say, right, um, or, or Facebook. And they also had 700 million users. And there was a lot of debate early on to say, I, w I just want people to post more photos. How do I do that? And one of the idea within the company is to say, I'm just going to, auto-load the photo and pull it from uh, the photo album into the top of the app so people can see it, they can just click and then they can post. I think many Western counterparts might also come up with the same idea, but it requires someone like a Chinese player to push the boundary, but it also requires consumers that are open-minded yes. that said, you're not intruding my privacy to, for, for that to really take off. So Korea and Japan, you know, the tech leaders, you know, in the minds of many, how are they doing uh, in, in the advance of digitization in, in today's world? Korea and Japan, you know, they have leading tech companies, both of them. 
And most of the innovation is there happening within the companies. And especially on the tech side, they are leading innovators. However, they don't have this kind of startup community, ecosystem, vibrant community where lots of innovations are happening. They are much more in the boundaries of existing companies. However, if you look into these markets, they benefit a lot from great infrastructure. They benefit a lot from investments over a certain period of time because both of these cultures, they are behind new ideas and they go after these new ideas for multiple years. It's not you get one year, if it doesn't work, we stop it. I, I think Korea and Japan are both um, very interesting um, markets, <laughs> um, very different when it comes to digital, because Korea does have a lot of innovation, as Gregor said, um, both in the traditional tech side, you know, hardware leaders like Samsung and LG, um, but also in digital, right? So if you look at some some of the global services, uh, some of the services that they've actually taken global, like Line, Kakao, uh, so these are uh, messaging, but also gaming services that are popular not just in Korea, but also outside. Uh, in fact, in many parts of Asia, um, their, their e-commerce um, penetration is also very high. They just haven't got the same scale as China, as Gregor said. So, um, so I think that, that, that makes it quite different. I think Japan is a completely different market and one that I think many people uh, still struggle to, mm. to understand. How is um, it different? It does have major tech companies. A mind company that people have known for decades, the, the Sony, the Mitsubishi, the Toshibas of the world. Um, but, but when it comes to digital and IT, and maybe Gregor can, can add to that, right? Um, they've been very slow to move. Um, I, I think legacy IT issue in Japan, it's probably one of the most um, challenging uh, as we look across uh, Asian markets. And the idea that they need to be disrupting their own businesses and making a lot of changes to the legacy has been slow to catch on. That doesn't mean that things would not happen. For example, when the iPhone was launched, um, people also said that it would never take off in Japan because mm -hmm. they've got a different system, they've got Docomo, it's a completely different um, uh, industry environment, but it did take off. So I do think when you have a fantastic service and we have an innovator that's really pushing the boundary, it will happen. Um, it hasn't happened yet. And we have another industry, um, the gaming industry, and especially, you know, mobile online gaming. I would argue, you know, that Japan is one of the leading players in that global industry, and they, and they are innovating a lot. And you see that in certain sub-segments of industries, they are able to innovate. Well, increasingly, companies around the world uh, must experiment with digital technology and in some cases reinvent themselves at the core uh, to create new value. Talk about the transformational opportunities and challenges uh, that organizations in Asia face. First of all, I would separate out emerging Asia from mature Asia. Because if you talk about the mature Asian markets and these corporations, at the end, they face exactly the same challenges like American or European companies. They have traditional legacy IT systems. 
They are in the business for 50 or hundreds of years. They have an existing cu um, customer base. They are used to a growth of two to five percent per year. So these are all very stable environment. And to embark on a digital transformation really requires top-down leadership. All functions need to be involved. IT architecture needs to be redesigned. Data architecture needs to be redesigned. But at the end, it is more or less the same what you do in Western Europe or in North America with these kind of companies. If you move to emerging Asia or to conglomerates which have only a recent history of significant growth, they have one key advantage. And the key advantage is no legacy IT. And that helps them significantly to leapfrog and embark on a digital transformation journey. The second key advantage most of these companies have is very strong top-down leadership. Some of them are privately owned. They have very visionary leaders. And if you embark on an entire transformation of the entire corporation, a visionary leader is extremely helpful because they inject the entrepreneurial mindset, exactly what you need to have in order to be successful. So they have an advantage on the legacy IT side and they have visionary leaders. And the third point I would add there is that you have digital talent available. Even though everybody is looking for digital talent out there, the educational systems, you know, university graduates, they are more and more interested, they are intrigued, and that's my view, they are trained much better to be active and a good contributor to a digital transformation than their peers in many other markets. So they have access to a talent pool, they have visionary leaders, and in some markets or some corporations, they don't have legacy ITs. That's right. I think there are more similarities than differences when it comes to digital transformation between Asia and the rest of the world. You still need to recognize that digital is not just having a website or having a social network account, but it's really about digitizing the entire enterprise, as Gregor was saying, right? So it's digitizing the process and the customer experience, modernizing your IT, injecting big data um, analytics and also AI into your core operations. All that needs to happen. Having visionary leaders, as many Asian companies have, helps tremendously. Um, and many of these are founder-owned uh, company, the first generation entrepreneur, and they have the skills and uh, I think the commitment to drive through digital transformation, and that's super important. The bottom-up um, involvement is uh, also critical, and maybe that's where um, Asian companies are a little bit more different than the Western peers, because there is this, um, there, there is still the traditional Asian culture, which is more hierarchical, you know, which is, you know, this is my division, and I'm not sure if I should, you know, how do I work with them, and do I break the boundary? So I think um, w one of the terms that we use is you need dragon slayers in the company, right? So your, your divisionary boss need to empower the digital leader to say you need to go work across function um, to do things in a different way and be empowered to do so. And this may not always come supernaturally to, to Asian cultures. And, you know, the top-down support would help, but you also need to create that bottom-up culture and people feel empowered to, 
to make changes happen. Finally, given everything that we've discussed, um, what would you advise uh, CEOs that are listening to, to this conversation as the key takeaways when it comes to understanding uh, the digital landscape in this region and what's distinctive about some of the transformational journeys that are happening with organizations in Asia? I would say four points. My point number one is, um, and if you are a non-Asian CEO or leader, have a close look into Asia and really spend time on the ground. And not only in China, we discussed some other markets like Indonesia and so on, because lots of innovation at scale is happening here. My first point. My second point is the degree of change and the speed of change is significant. We talked about we want to be paperless in three years. And these are corporations who have 100,000 plus employees. We talked about I want to reduce my cost base by 90%, again, in three to four years, some significant players. The speed is significant. And learning how they do that, but also thinking about, we think and I think they will not only focus on Asia, but they will be in Europe and in North America shortly with these kind of offerings. That's my second point. My third point is how radical some of the players in Asia are. And, but also for Asian players, that's my point here. If you embark on a digital transformation, go all in. It is not, oh, I stop at a certain point in time. You either improve your customer satisfaction and the journeys, or you don't. And if you just embark on the journey and then stop because you have traditional channels, sales channels, you have legacy IT, whatever might stop you, then you might be in a worse position. It is a multi-year journey. It is a top-down journey. But if you embark on it with the entire organization, you will be successful. And the fourth point is, early on, think about the talent, cultural, and organizational implications. What are the new talents I want to integrate? Which ecosystem do I want to be part of? And what are the implications for my organization? Alan. Um, I, I think Gregor covered it very well. I'll just add one point for CEO, which is think about who are your, what is your digital board, right? Um, in, in a survey that McKinsey has done, only 15% um, of companies said that they actually had a digital ready board. Only 5% of them said they have a technology board. And uh, we, I think in a rapidly changing environment and paradigm, it is very important to have challenges to actually help management stay alert and be updated on what's happening. And that doesn't mean just bring in a token digital native ex-CEO to be on the board because you would typically have uh, 11, 15 board members and just having one or two is not enough, right? So by all means, bring people in with the relevant experience, but that the rest of the board members also need to get upgraded and be aware of the challenges and the opportunity that digital brings. I think it's important to see Asia as a market where a lot of innovation is happening and people need to come see it. And I think on top of that, um, don't treat um, the, com the large internet companies here, you know, if I take China as an example, as just competitors, they are your partners. 
Well, thank you, Alan and Gregor, for your insights. And thank you for listening to this conversation. If you'd like to find out more about our research and knowledge, please head over to McKinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at McKinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.